Welcome back to Cinema D'Amore. I'm your host, Justin Morgan. I'm here with... Chuck. And it's Cyberpunk Month again. Still. It's <laughs> Cyberpunk <laughs> Month still. It's like the third time we've done it. The third time that we've done Cyberpunk. Ever? Like the genre? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm not keeping track. At least three times. <laughs> this is at sure. least the third time that we've done it because I can think of two other movies <laughs> and one of them was last week and one of them was Blade Runner 2049. Uh, yeah, at a minimum. We are talking about Strange Days directed by Catherine Bigelow, written by James Cameron and Jay Cox. I guess this is the love of James Cameron and Catherine Bigelow. I don't know how else yeah. to describe the movie besides it's a cyberpunk movie. I was worried that it maybe wasn't as cyberpunk as I remembered it. It's pretty cyberpunk. It, it, it's on par with Akira. It really is. It's just a little bit farther, not as far in the future as Akira, but it's also not too technologically advanced. Tone and everything. The fucking rave has the aesthetic. Yeah. Just a lot of angry people, corrupt cops. Vincent D'Onofrio got all those cyberpunk items yeah <laughs> tom sizemore yeah tom sizemore in a terrible wig for <laughs> two and a half hours <laughs> the most obviously terrible wig that you've you'll ever see in your life it's so bad in defense of the wig i wasn't sure I mean, if it was supposed to be point, a wig no <laughs> <laughs> i mean the wig's a plot point yeah we'll say that but <laughs> It still maybe could have been a better one, but that's almost your tip-off that it is a wig because we see numerous times characters putting on the wigs, and they always look terrible. Like when Lenny gives that one guy, he's like, look, you're just going to have to bang these two girls. You think they'll notice? I, no, they won't notice at all. And he puts that just awful wig on top of his actual hair, and he's just like, you look fine. Yeah, if you haven't watched the movie, watch the movie. Watch the movie before you listen to this and then come back and listen to it. What Chuck's talking about is fairly early on in the movie where they're describing this technology squib. It's supposed to be a body camera for police officers, but you can feel what they feel and see what they see. And very early on, the main character, Lenny, played by Ray Fiennes, he's like a dealer of these memories. So he describes how you have to wear this apparatus on your head, and the only way to disguise it is with the wig. Most people have a wig. And the first guy, that he puts the thing on his head, and he puts the wig on. It doesn't even look like the same hair. And he's like, it's perfect, man. It's perfect. Well, this, this guy's got, like, Kenny G hair to begin with, and then he puts, like, a, a like straight hair wig over yeah. top of it. And he's just like, yeah, man, looks good. They'll never notice. I don't think they did, but drugs might have been a part of that, too. This movie takes place in the far distant future of 1999. We've only passed that a little bit by now. Yeah, the movie is closer to 1999 than we are now. Uh, yeah, although, and this is another thing that I do think is very common. We were trying to talk about during Akira how cyberpunk seems very hard to define and could have a lot of different elements. But I do feel like any type of virtual reality, that almost always fits into cyberpunk no matter what. Like, if you have anything that's like a VR type thing, it almost automatically is like, oh, that's cyberpunk or something like that. Uh, which this film features extensively. This is this is really predicting the idea, too, that pretty much what everyone says about any VR headset releases, yeah, but, like, how am I going to be able to use it to watch porn? That's everyone's thing with the new Apple Vision Pro, and they're like, right, but, like, I can run porn on it, right? Blasted right into my eyeballs. Lenny, you sell porn. I got some very sophisticated customers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we do see a guy that has no legs, and he uses the technology to run on the beach. To be a guy with legs. <laughs> He also checks out a girl on the beach, so I don't know what there's, fantasy there's, that there's is. A lot of, it does really seem like the <laughs> the two markets for this thing are porn or committing crimes. Those are yeah. your those are like your two options of what <laughs> you want it to be. I think when he's talking to that one the one business guy in the club, he's describing that you could do anything. You know, uh, you could be like climbing Mount Everest or something like that. But it's like, but let's be honest, you want to know what it's like to be in the body of an eighteen year old girl, don't you? Yeah, that's a good moment, too, where he hooks him up in the bar. Everything is extremely gritty and dirty. Way over... Very moist. 
it's an over-the-top world, but doesn't seem that unrealistic. It's almost just a very exaggerated version of... I mean, it gets into a lot of things that we have now. Again, like how you're saying, like, the whole idea for the this invention, the squid thing, was that it was for the government feds to use as a part of police work to be able to see what they're seeing and you know, to be able to use it as, like, for soldiers on the battlefield to be able to see what they're doing out there. And so now we have body cams on a lot of officers, pretty much for the exact reason that you should have body cams. The entire plot of this film that hinges on, man, if only there were body cams on these guys to see what they were doing. Another strange thing about this movie is the fact that it's maybe an hour into the movie before the main plot becomes involved in it. Yes. You're learning through Lenny about this world, and you're learning about Lenny, so it's a lot of character development before it even remotely gets into where the story is starting. There's so many characters that it starts off with. Lenny goes home. This is probably half an hour into the movie, and he puts on the apparatus that he needs to watch the squid videos. And he does the playback, and it's him. With... And that's when we first see Juliette Lewis. Yeah, it's his girlfriend. And I thought she was going to be dead the first time I, I watched dead it. dead when the movie started, yeah. She's on the box, but he looks like he's watching clips of, like, somebody that died on him. And it's a really nice setting. It's on the long the beach, and they're rollerblading. I do like when you see him in the camera, too. He has a, a bandana wrapped around his head. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the bandana, yeah. And let's be honest, if anybody had that on their head, they wouldn't need to hide it in L.A. I don't think anybody would pay attention to the fact that it was on their head. It would just be another weirdo. Uh, yeah, it does take quite some time to get into the... We start off with seeing Vincent D'Onofrio as one of the police chasing this woman. And then, yeah, it's a good 45 minutes before we ever figure out why they were chasing this woman. And what it has to do with any of the other characters that we've seen yeah. so far. I like this movie a lot, but yeah, the the story, which, again, written by James Cameron, he's not wildly known for being the best writer in the world, so, yeah, the story does take a little while to, to get into, uh, and I would say I think the other, the other big problem I had getting into, like, trying to figure out what the main plot of this film is, because uh, it does take time, like, I... For the, the first time I watch this, I'm trying to figure out, like, what? Yeah, what? what's the plot? Is it just about, like, him stealing these memory things? I could tell, I, I figured it had to have something to do with that woman recorded something that she shouldn't have seen. But getting into what that is, and then it's very vague. We have that the, the rapper Jericho One keeps popping up. But he's something... <laughs> Again, this is this is my a big problem I have with this film is he's supposed to be a very important part of this film and his character is just nothing. All you know is that he's a he's a rapper that's trying to fight police corruption. And at one point Angela Bassett says, "He was the most important black man in America." I'm like, "Well, you could have devoted a little bit more story time to to him to like make me feel that that's true cuz you barely you showed him in a in a in a very cheap-looking music video on a bar TV, and you're just like, yeah, can't you figure out that that's, like, the most important guy in the world? There is a weird thing with the script where apparently the romance story was more so written by James Cameron, and the grit and all that shit was not written, but I guess suggested by Catherine Bigelow. So it's really weird because this is a movie that I would say definitely captures the male gaze quite literally i wouldn't say it's like every person every guy in the world but it is totally hornball point of view that from every time that you go into somebody's memory pretty much or like rage just the only real kind of racist character that you get is the very first memory that playback that we're seeing the guy like degrades the restaurant that he's robbing because it starts with a robbery, which I think is actually kind of cool because you think, oh, this movie this movie must be about this crime. And this crime has nothing to do at all with anything in the plot. It's just getting you used to experiencing these memories. 
But when we get to the scene with Jericho 1, I know race is a part of it, but D'Onofrio, his line is something about, like, you're making our job harder with these riots and stuff, and he's not full-on racist, which I think is what you would see in any body cam footage of somebody hurting or killing somebody. Why I was going into that was I felt like they didn't want to get heavily into the black culture of it because they aren't. They have Angela Bassett and you only kind of get glimpses of her life. I think that she's a great character, but they don't really get into anything with her life outside of the fact that she raised a son without a dad and she's in love with Lenny. Like, there really is not... <laughs> she's also a limo driver. Yeah, she's pretty much just her career in this. I do think that she's probably one of the better characters. Actually, I, this whole cast, even the small parts, I think are pretty fucking good in this. Maybe besides... What's her face? Juliet Lewis. Yeah, she's not a great actress. <laughs> There's a scene where she's like, oh my god, I can't believe that you're doing this. And I'm like, maybe she's hard on drugs. I I, I don't know. That that could be a possibility with that character. This movie, I, don't know, I, th I feel like it, it does want to have some twists, although it wasn't just the bad wig, but almost from the very beginning, I, it's probably just because of who they cast. I was like, oh, Tom, Tom Sizemore's the bad guy. Tom Sizemore's going to double-cross him, because that's just Tom Sizemore in, like, any movie. He's always, like, the real weaselly, like, he's like, oh, I'm your best friend until the very end of the movie when he's gonna be like, actually, it was my huge plan to kill you from the start because I've never been your friend and I always hated you or something. Like, just <laughs> as soon as his character popped up, I was like, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna double-cross uh, Lenny by the end of this movie. Like, I just know it. You think it's a little bit of foreshadowing? The way that he pretends to be a cop arresting Lenny the first time that you see him. I don't want to say they were that clever. I think they were just they were, they were just having a fun scene. I don't know. I I do like this movie. I think overall it's good. And like you were saying, like how it doesn't. It feels like they. And maybe this was maybe this is what led Catherine Bigelow to do something like Detroit. Years. I mean, many many years later, was that maybe she was more interested in the in the aspect of the, you know, the racial part of why these riots happen. Because it feels like she would want to get into that. And like you're saying, if because it was written by James Cameron, if he wasn't as interested in those aspects or didn't think that that would be an interesting part. Because, yeah, we never really... We're just shown that there's these riots going on all the time. And nothing... In, but it's never in particular brought up about, like, oh, yeah, the cops are you know specifically targeting you know black neighborhoods or minority areas we're never really shown that or told that we're just shown that there's always riots going on and then you have this guy Jericho one who's a rapper who says he wants to get all the gangs together kind of in uh, like the warriors he wants to get all the gangs together to to go against the police force getting towards the end when they have uh Angela Bassett getting beat by the police and it's it feels very much like it's supposed to be like this is Rodney King happening and I'm like yeah but you you haven't really made a big point of that being what this movie's about if you wanted that to be the thing about showing that type of I, I, yeah I don't know if it's more like James Cameron's just more interested in the sci-fi aspect of it and he doesn't want to bring almost that more realism based approach of the 90s being like oh yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of race riots. He's like, yeah, but let's get more into the technology. I just want to do that. Obviously, Rodney King was the inspiration for this movie. Also, it was happening during the OJ trials. I read that when they were filming, they took a break during the OJ trials to try to not get people as riled up or whatever. But it is in the DNA of this movie. But when you're giving us an hour of learning who this character is, there's nothing wrong with it in throwing us little pieces of the plot. An hour into the movie, you're like, I don't really understand how this movie's going to end. Is this a day in the life of a dealer? They do add depth to the movie by giving us slivers of this person does more than we see, such as the whole relationship with Lenny. Uh, you discover that Lenny was a LAPD, and he's no longer. He has a run-in with the commissioner early on in the movie and you think it's just because he's a well-known drug dealer or whatever 
but it's they, no, it's they because never go he into, they never go into why he's not a police officer anymore, which I feel like just feels like some information that maybe at some point someone should mention. Like, did he accidentally kill somebody? Was it just because he started dealing the the memory things? Like, it's never made clear. It's just, oh yeah, he got kicked off the police force. I'm just like, we're just gonna. That's all you're gonna say. You're not gonna say like why he got he got kicked off the police force. And he trusts. I can't remember his name. He trusts the commissioner like full heartedly. Yeah. He's a good guy. I know he's a good guy. He's like that guy could never. Yeah, I think he says like when he when he farts, it makes a whistle. He's so tight. He'll he, he'll never be dirty. You can't. That guy's never gonna be a dirty cop. He's well cast too because he definitely makes me think that he'll side with the cops no matter what, and that he's just yeah. gonna be this racist old white guy. When you have the scene where Lenny's like telling Angela Bass's character Mace, make sure he gets this this disc. Make sure he gets this. So she goes into the men's bathroom, gives him this disc, and she thinks that she's betrayed because the cops grab her, take her outside, and she's, I knew I should have trusted you. And it does. It feels like nothing's going to come of it. It really does feel like that's going to be the end of that. But the way they wrote it, <laughs> it came back full circle. Like you said, when they were beating... <laughs> Angela Bassett via Rodney King with their uh, batons and everything. Chaos has erupted in the streets and everybody's fighting everybody. This dude that's wearing like a tuxedo because he's coming from a party just walks out of the crowd. I think that would have been the first guy like mugged and beat up by somebody. But he had the presence. He was able to make it through the crowd in that thing. Yeah, the memory is super cyberpunk like you're saying. We do learn that they feel things because the very first video that we see and Lenny's experiencing it, a person dies. He doesn't deal with that shit. It's hard for him to go through, which maybe, like you said, it ties into why he's not a cop anymore, but they cut it out or it doesn't go there. It doesn't tell us why. Yeah, again, it's all, it's all very vague. And he just says he doesn't like doing those clips. I Yeah, I assume just because... Yeah, videos of people dying. He's like, oh, no, snuff films are, are you know, illegal. He doesn't want to deal with that. And, yeah, I think he also says, too, if the person that's wearing it dies, he said it, like, gives him a shock or something like that. Like, it almost, like, electrocutes your brain when the guy dies. And he says that's – I think he also says, like, that's painful. Like, no one, would, no one would want that. It's interesting because death is described the way the body shuts down – it's described as like an experience equivalent to like an orgasm or something. Like when you go, it's not always painful, I don't think. But maybe in this version of how the person died, the person fell to their death. Maybe that's what he felt. Like he felt the body getting crunched or something like that. Because I was reading about the making of this film. They actually had a guy jump between the buildings for a shot. With no harness or anything. They, like, stripped a camera away, like, of all its weight to make it as, like, mobile as possible. I mean, I'm sure the fall and everything's staged, and the long shot's fake. It looks good, though. It doesn't really look like there's a break in the action for the first five minutes or so of the movie. But I was impressed that that jump was somewhat real, and the fall, which we do have a fall at the end of this movie, and I think it's funny that... It looks way fake. What is funny about the fall to me is when the character falls on the car, he falls 30 stories, it looks like, and he doesn't even dent the roof of the car. Yeah, but when we watched Home Alone 2, <laughs> Joe Pesci on that seesaw thing totally crushed that car. <laughs> For the time that this was made, all the first-person stuff surprisingly looked really smooth, considering, yeah, like, today we'd use gopros or you know just digitally you know recreate a lot of that stuff and just pretend it was it was happening use some cgi but hardcore henry yeah yeah hardcore henry that's you know i never saw it but i saw the trailer and the trailer was basically what you're experiencing in this movie yeah yes yeah for a full like two hours which apparently made a lot of people sick and <laughs> was not a pleasant experience for a full two-hour film to have that point of view but yeah i was i was thinking about that i was like man they got they were really good at doing this first person stuff for 
not having you know digital cameras or anything lightweight like probably having to actually use real film cameras they apparently worked really hard to make it feel realistic when they did the part when you finally see the main memory the playback of what happened why everybody is in a frenzy you see the point of view of this prostitute iris it kind of at first when it's just looking at the situation from afar it feels like it could be a camera but then when she starts stumbling around and shit it is really well done that it doesn't feel like a hand is coming out of the side of like the camera you ever see that where yeah. They do the first person. You can tell the camera's massive, and the hand looks so awkward reaching in the frame to, like, yeah. open a doorknob. Like Halloween, like, the hand doesn't yeah. look like it's really coming from from the kid specifically when it should be in the in the opening. Yeah. The mask from Halloween, the mask in this was better when they put the masks on to do the robbery. Oh, yeah. It looks so much better than Halloween. I mean, they've had 20 years work on it and perfect it but <laughs> it does looks better when you do get the fall at the end of the movie though when it's straight down it looks bad and when they falls on the car it looks bad but the fall from the building looks okay it should have yeah. just been a it should have just been a reaction shot of of oh shit for as good and believable as some of the action is and we've talked about this when we did Catherine Bigelow she does really good action some of it just didn't make sense very looney tunes ish that's what i say whenever it when there's a pretty realistic world and then there's some crazy shit happening which would be there's fight at the end of the movie between ray fines and tom sizemore after wrestling around and getting stabbed in the back tom sizemore's hanging over the balcony well he's hanging on to ray fines tie that he brought up earlier in this movie that's an expensive tie and for some reason, it's not strangling the guy. It's like perfectly super tight with a lot of room for him to breathe and stuff. You'd think he'd be like choking the death from the guy that's... Also, I just feel like... Strangling him, yeah. Putting Tom Sizemore's like probably 280 pounds like just on your neck. Because like, he's not even... He's not even like holding it with holding the tie still with his hands. Like that. that's all just weight on his neck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Ray Fiennes has that strong of a, of a neck to hold up 280 pounds of Tom Sizemore hanging off the side of a building. Yeah, it needed to be much quicker. That was like the one time where it was a little too melodramatic. Tom Sizemore, I can't even remember what he's saying, but he has a monologue as he's hanging, he's like, hanging he's like, on yeah. the, off the side of this building. Yeah, he's like something about like, I'm going to take you with me and and all that. Yeah, he has. So that's a moment too, yeah, where... I feel like, again, they didn't establish stuff well enough that they had to have... Tom Sizemore goes on, like, a five-minute-long thing about his entire plan from the entire movie, and he has to go over everything, and it's like, and you you have the original video in your house, because that's where I put it there. And then they have to bring up, oh, and did you kill, uh, did you kill that guy, Tick? He's like, yeah, you know I killed him. I'll pin that on you, too. Like, he has to go through every every moment of the movie that he was involved in for the entire thing it has to go over like every moment probably don't even need all of that i feel like there's a lot of information there where like you said they bring up tick the salesman who provides some of these experiences to lenny to sell he ends up dying which they have a version of overdosing which is just like they call it being fried i, I don't know what it, it's just too high of a frequency of the memory output or something to make it somewhat dangerous i guess he does. He walks in. He has to describe everything. Like you said, Chuck, you know it's fucking him. When you get to the first snuff part where he rapes and he kills the girl in her eyeballs, you see that fucking wig. Like, you can tell that it is this guy. I do like the fact that he's colorblind, so they did some weird... It's kind of bluish. It's not, like, gray, but... They're like, we know the killer's colorblind. We know the killer's colorblind, which that was like a flaw in, I think his name's Max. Tom Sizemore's plan is because I think Lenny could be like, I'm not fucking colorblind. <laughs> you know, like there, there's no color to this at all. So it, I clearly didn't do any of these crimes. That's, that's like another, yeah, that's like another, like almost a moment where I wanted, like there should have been a moment somewhere in the film where, Tom Sizemore says something about like his vision being bad or something like that. Like, like make like 
I don't know, put a hint in because then then again you have to have uh, Ray Fines go. I didn't know you were colorblind, and mm-hmm. Tom Sizemore was like, "Yeah, man, been colorblind a long time." And I'm like, "That's again, that's something that, like should have just been like something that we just know about this guy is is oh he's got something up with his with his vision like quit quit referencing it at the exactly at the end where they just want to like like the, the, two and a half hours into the movie and they're like we gotta just dump a lot of exposition to make you want your zodiac moment chuck you want it to be a little bit more subtle before tom sizemore busts through the door and he's like yeah i did it (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly you talk about the wig i want you to bring it up on the podcast but when they fight and he grabs tom sizemore's hair and it just comes off and he's like oh shit it's a wig it's really (laughs) fucking funny too going back to what we said in the very beginning of the episode you can tell that it's a wig but you're like i don't know maybe it's just a bad wig maybe maybe, yeah maybe they maybe they just didn't have the budget for the good wig or something like that like and why does every wig have to be like a long four foot length piece of hair (laughs) nobody can have like a tiny ass wig on up their head again getting back into what the main plot is i was very confused in the beginning as to who uh uh, Michael Wincott's character is yeah and he's another one that's like well he's got to be the villain in this movie because he's the villain in every movie he plays because he's got like the gravelly voice that you're just like yeah you hear oh, that, that voice bad guy well it's funny because I think this and I think nope and he's yeah. not the, the he's not really the villain but he does throw you off yeah nope is like maybe one of the few times that that he's not really a villainous character he's just kind of like a dick or something like that but and this is like 50 50 this movie he's he makes villain choices but he's not the overall villain of the movie yeah yeah again it's it's weird his character i just like couldn't understand what was going on where they make more of a conspiracy than i think it really is like when we first meet him he's on the news talking about jericho one and i didn't even realize that it was supposed to be that he was like his manager or something like that I couldn't. I just thought he was just a random guy. They were, or I, I actually thought he was a cop. That that confused me at first too, because Tom Sizemore says, "Oh, that's the guy that he lost uh, faith to." That's the guy, you know. And I was like, "Oh, is it like because that guy's another cop, and because he got kicked off the force, and that's why he's at this murder scene or something like that?" And then when it gets further in, and you're like, "Oh, okay, that was just that guy's manager." Why is he involved in the plot? And they keep trying to make it like this real deep. Like, he slaps Juliette Lewis around and is like, no one can know the truth of my deep, sinister plot. And I'm like, what's the plot? I don't get it. And then the whole thing just ends up being, oh, yeah, he paid a hooker to wear one of those things and spy on this guy Jericho one because he thought he was going to leave his record label and go somewhere else. I was like, that was the that was the plot. That was the that was the deep conspiracy that. Well, he doesn't want to lose his other clientele, which we never see, which we never see anybody else that's. I, his other clientele must just be every band that plays. Yeah, all those all those grunge bands. Yeah. bands. yeah, all the industrial metal bands that are that were very big. I the, did see your new haircut in this movie. It's the bald guy that has a two inch spot on the side of his head of hair, and the hair is three feet long. Just one big dreadlock. I don't even think it's a dreadlock. It's just straight up fucking hair. And you see him like twice. <laughs> it's just like, what is that hair? They did hire a rave promoter to bring people into this rave scene. And a lot of them were using real drugs. And they said they were like they were. five overdoses while they were filming the scene. This was just a thing in the 90s between between this and then like the other one I always think of is like uh, Blade. Mm-hmm. They're like, man, you got to watch out for those raves. There's definitely crazy stuff going on there. Could be vampires. Could be blood. <laughs> yeah, could yeah. have. Could be vampires. Could be uh, guys hooking their brains up to stuff. And their music is like that Rob Zombie thing. They love the it's Rob Zombie. It's all industrial. Yeah, it's all just industrial. It makes it makes me think of like, like I'm surprised Power Man 5000's not on this uh, soundtrack there. They were real bands, and Julia yeah. Lewis, she did sing. Yeah. She actually sounded like people that I've seen perform before. I mean, she wasn't a great singer, but she was definitely the singer that would be in that place. And again, like I keep going back to like how there's characters in this movie that I just don't understand or don't know what they're there for. Is the other ones that guy that the guy with no legs? Again, feels like should be. 
I, I can't tell what his deal is. He's in that room, and he's got, like, old 1940s films playing on, like, six different TVs, and I can't tell what he's doing. Like, I felt like deal? he was some sort of security guard because... He doesn't have legs. I think he's, like, the guy in the chair. Yeah, but he's not watching any security footage. He's watching 1940s. So I see... Okay, I don't remember seeing... You might be right. I don't remember seeing any security footage. I felt like maybe one of the TVs might have been the club or something because Lenny gets thrown out of the club by a former Rams. Yeah, they, they had to very particularly remind you. The LA Rams, you know, the football team. I'm like, did the Rams pay to get their name mentioned in this film like multiple times? Yeah, he gets kicked out and he just breaks the window and jumps back inside and he's in, in back in the rave and then he like meets he that guy. Thrown, thrown down. Like like uh, Jazzy Jeff getting thrown out of the house, and then it yeah. like, climbs on a dumpster and breaks a window and climbs back inside. Very Flintstones esque, but yeah, yeah, that's where he meets the guy. He's back inside, and he meets that guy with no legs. So I'm like, he's an employee, I imagine, of the club. I don't know what he's yeah, doing. Something, I guess. Maybe he's the manager of the money or something. He's I I, I don't know idea what he's know. supposed to be doing. It's just such a weird like like yeah. I'm just like what what's this guy's deal? And also like he's missing his legs. So then that that was making me think. Oh, again, is that related somehow to why uh, Lenny got kicked off the force? Did like an accident happen and he lost his legs? And was it Lenny's fault? Like again, yes. There there's just multiple things that feel like feel like there's just parts that maybe were missing. But they still had to cut this movie down because it's already two and a half hours with what is in the movie. Like, the original cut, like, four hours. And you're right. They could have cut more. They could have cut out Lenny being a cop. He could have trusted the commissioner for whatever reasons. We don't don't need to know. He could just say, trust me, I know that we could trust. You could think that he dealt the guy memories or something. I've seen his memories. We can trust him. I've seen enough body cam footage from that guy that he's a trustworthy person. But yeah, the runtime is weird the way that like some things become redundant. How you brought up that the playbacks were very pornographic. They're trying to do like a threesome from the point of view of one of the girls and trying to sell that. And then the customer, that's not even really important to the story at all. It's this weird thing about, yeah, you're an 18-year-old girl taking a shower. But we know people are into that weird porn shit. Then you get the guy with no legs running on the beach. Maybe the customer that came in should have been the no leg guy, and that should have been his experience that he wanted. Yeah. It is actually kind of interesting for his character to say, hey, I know what you really want is porn. And then when Angela Bassett's like, you sell porn, he's like, I do not sell porn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm a high-class uh... salesperson. He's a good salesperson. He maybe he should have been like a shoe salesman or used car salesman that just made more money off of selling these memories to people or yeah. something. They keep like making like a funny joke about well, he's always saying like how all of his stuff's expensive even though you know it's not and he's like he doesn't there's there's three times with his watch he, he gives that guy he's like come on man I'll give you a check and the guy's like yeah right he's like oh I'll get you the cash here have my have my Rolex for collateral and then the guy drives off with his thing. And then he tries to bribe the uh, the bodyguard from the Rams. And he's like, I got a Rolex. And the guy just looks at it and goes, that's nice. I got a real one. And then, I, then he tries it with, like, the third, the the guys that are going to beat him up. He's like, let's let's make a deal, guys. Come on. You, you want my Rolex? And the guy just goes, is this impact resistant? He's like, ah, probably. <laughs> just right before he punches <laughs> him in the face. Yeah, and, like, the tie thing that is obviously because Tom Sizemore's going to hang off this tie at the end of the movie. Yeah. This tie is worth more than your whole. Stupid ties. Yeah, yeah, this tie is worth more than your whole outfit. And he laughs and says, "Like, well, that's not saying much. I'm dressed like shit right now. <laughs> the shittiest looking character in this thing." Yeah, the movie's got good moments. They could cut yeah. thirty minutes out, whatever the hell they want. Yeah, they could. They could easily cut a lot of things. I'd even be fine. I don't know. It's it's weird how like the main plot and the side plot come together in a way that it's it becomes hard to figure out where where you cut some of that stuff out because it's like uh, part of me feels like oh just cut out all the Jericho one stuff with like Vincent D'Onofrio and his partner but then if you cut any any of that out then the rest of the movie is like oh well then why is why is the uh, Michael Wincott's character so crazy and wants to 
get people murdered and stuff. And you can't just cut him out. You think like, oh, well, he's he's a dumb character. Like, why do you really need him? Just have the just have it all be about Vincent D'Onofrio's character. But then it's, well, why why is there the recording? Oh, the recording's because of Michael Wincott's character. Like they they like intertwine the stories too much to cut out certain things. Like, yeah, you you can only cut out like some more of this like small character development stuff. But they need to figure out a way to as a detective story. I think it's fine to have everything connect the way that it does. But they need to find a way to trim it out where you can give us that information or we get that information without too much time. I mean, actually, the story itself, the detective story, maybe an hour and a half. The rest of it is character development for Lenny. So they're not really diving full hard into this dark plot. Yeah, I'd almost want this to be more of a like, yeah, cut out a lot of this extra useless stuff. And then just make it almost more, more straight up like neo noir. Like it was a neo noir. It really I was. It, it is, but it feels like it feels like there's too. There's still too much. It, like like again, don't make this. Guy like every good neo noir, uh, there's a little bit too much. There's a little bit too much, yeah. But like, yeah, cut out some of the stuff with, with like you were saying, like Lenny doesn't even need to be a cop. That doesn't even need to be a plot point. Uh. But, yeah, there are a lot of noir moments of, you know, a guy just getting sucked into, you know, a murder plot that has really has nothing to do with him at the very beginning. But because he just keeps getting pushed into it, and obviously Juliette Lewis is the femme fatale character that, that he's still, he's constantly uh, trying to go after. Yeah, he's in love with her, but she is very obviously doesn't give a fuck about him. And the, the typical femme fatale would use that to her advantage, and she really doesn't i can't think of a moment in this movie where she is taking advantage of him that way not really she's actually she's a weird femme fatale because for most of the movie she actually genuinely does seem like she's trying to protect him and and get him out of this scenario like she keeps trying to tell him you know i i don't love you anymore stop following me around you're you're gonna get hurt if you keep if you keep coming around here and he's the he just won't listen to it and just keeps coming around and I mean, even in the end, she saves him from Tom Sizemore killing, uh, shooting him. So yeah, she's it's a weird femme fatale. Like, she doesn't play it exactly, but she's definitely supposed to be that character. Also, the video footage, the playback footage, gets around so fucking fast. Because when he watches his snuff film of Iris, and he's like, I just saw Iris. I just saw her. She was ranting like a lunatic. I have to get over to this hotel. And they're bringing the body out, and it's very comical where her face is not covered for some reason when she's outside. Like, that's where the detective decides to cover her up. But the same scenario happens again at the end of the movie, and he rushes to save uh, Faith. And I actually do think that's really good when he busts in and he pulls off the bed sheet, and it's uh, Wincott. It's uh, the producer. Yeah. Philo Gant or whatever. I think that's a good like little twist, but it also probably doesn't need much more than Tom Sizemore busting in and trying to kill him. Like I don't think he needed a monologue. Yeah, the colorblind thing should have came in in a different place. But overall, I don't think that it is a bad film for the story that it's telling. It just some parts are goofy. Even the relationship with Angela Bassett, where he calls her when his car gets towed and then you can't exactly tell what the hell is going on between these two people or what her job is because you think that she's like some corrupt person but she's literally a cop i thought she was another cop and that's how he knew her (laughs) yeah she picks that guy up he speaks terrible japanese i mean phonetically ray fines is correct with it but it is so bad (laughs) that i'm sure that actor was like just say this and he's like cool i said some japanese (laughs) yeah i had no idea what the hell that guy was and there's some scenes too where when he's watching the the iris video for the first time he's in the back of the car or in the back of the limo while angela bassett's driving and she already has a problem with this technology she knows what he's fucking doing back there i don't know why she doesn't have more of a problem with it Oh yeah, yeah. Because I feel like she can see him. There, there's shots very clearly showing that like she can see him in the rearview mirror. Yeah, and he's got that thing on his head, and she's just like, "Yeah, what are you doing back there?" And I'm like, "You can tell what he's doing back there. You can see it on his head. He's, 
he's using that machine. I think it's weird because he can still talk to her. There's a line where he's like, close your eyes or you'll see double. But we also know that he can hear the video and hear what's actually happening around him because he was still able to answer her. He's hearing double. He's hearing double, which you would think would take you out of the immersive experience of having legs on the beach or whatever. You know, I don't know. Yeah, they haven't thought this whole technology thing through. They're still working on it. When you say they haven't thought this whole technology thing through, that's how I'm feeling in present time with the Apple Vision Pro and all the videos of, like, they're just hilarious. Like, the, the that guy in his Tesla. It testing it in real life. <laughs> this thing hasn't even been out for 10 hours and the guy's yeah. driving his tesla with it on his face there was there was a guy i saw a video of someone recorded it and he went to like a, a coffee shop and, he, and the entire time he walks in it looks so it looks like a it almost looks like a parody but it's 100 percent real like the guy's got the guy's got this real huge jacket on and he's he's wearing the pro and then he's got a wire and it's running into his jacket because i'm assuming it's running into wherever it needs to plug into like a power supply somewhere so he looks like he's probably wearing a huge battery under his jacket and i feel like this guy's trying to make this not look weird and everybody in the coffee shop's just staring at him because it's the most bizarre looking thing imaginable and then he then he uh he's like sitting at his uh he's sitting at his table drinking his coffee and he like had he had a second camera set up so it like shows what other people's perspective of it is, and it just looks so dumb because he's just like, like to to anyone in the store he's just waving his hands in the air and he's just like it's like I'm like I could never, I could never, do, I could never go to a place, wear this stupid thing on my face and then like, just wave your hands around like because you're you're trying to be like uh, it's making me think of Tom Cruise and Minority Report like swiping the, the screens real fast. Yeah. We're still working on it. We're still working on that technology. Maybe well, by, uh, years yeah. ago they tried to do the Google glasses, which yeah. looked like Maybe glasses with too much shit on them, and I don't know. They fell through. Those probably were still, because those were still stupid too. Because uh, there was a guy that the person that stocked our vending machines at uh, work, he had those, and I don't know if they were provided by his company or if he actually bought them. I, I certainly hope this guy didn't spend his own money on them, but he was he like used them to keep track of his inventory while he was stocking the vending machines but again it was like so dumb because it, he every time he'd just be like lays 10 and he's just standing there like while people are eating their lunch and it's just like fritos three and i'm like if you have to do that then the thing's stupid and it's not <laughs> it's like i don't know that it's it would be funnier too task. if it's like lays no i said lays <laughs> yeah yeah because <laughs> it doesn't pick up that's, yeah, uh, yeah. I deal with that with uh with all my smart products half the time where I'm like play this and then yeah it's playing something complete. I'm like that's not remotely what I said. Yeah, you say play this song and like polka music starts playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What the hell is that? I didn't ask for this. Everyone looks at you, Chuck. We know that you regularly play polka music. <laughs> yeah, I swear this is the first time I've ever listened to this. I've never listened to polka before. <laughs> Trust me, believe me. <laughs> we need to police the police aspect. It's still very present. It's never going to go away. It's weird how the VR aspect of it is kind of reality. We've already can experience shit in the VR world. or They've shot movies like this already where you could put on the headset and experience a first-person movie. So it's not far off from, like, I mean, I'm sure it's going to kill the fucking guy, but Elon Musk is already, like, putting computer chips in people's heads, so it's only a matter of time before we can plug in and actually feel things, too, I'm sure. And then, hey, yeah, you don't have to go out of your house and risk uh, your life for whatever reason. Although, it's... They were pretty violent in the beginning of this movie where they, like, beating up fucking Santa Claus or some shit. And then they're all pretty content during new year's eve celebration i mean yeah they're standing on cop cars and stuff but they're really not doing anything too crazy they're not like hurting people or stabbing people there's also five billion people in la it's like when they show that shot from the sky of the crowd and it's like shoulder to shoulder people through several blocks i'm on the east coast so i never i don't even know where what la sees 
where their ball drop is, if they have a ball drop. But they're just watching a kind of a small TV on one corner of a street in downtown Los Angeles. And I have no idea, like, if there's that many people there. Like, I don't know where any of the confetti, I don't know where anything's coming from. Like the, the when they're they're playing like those radio calls at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And there's uh, the person bringing up, well, the world's going to end at midnight. And he's just like, oh, okay. I mean, what is that midnight our time, midnight East Coast time? I mean, what time zone is God living in that I should be prepared for uh, for the rapture to happen? And that woman's like, I'm praying for your soul. Hey, they predicted Y2K too. They really, but... Yeah, they really did. Pre- did they predict it or was that like the uh, – <laughs> was this the start of it? Like somebody – Somebody somewhere was watching Strange Days and was like, ah, oh, shit, they're right. The world is going to end at, in, at the end of 1999. How come we're not talking about this? Yeah, we had, in the year 2000, there was a lot of, like, cultist conspiracy things about the world ending. But then there was a very realistic, scientifical side where people said, hey, we didn't program, this is the thing, we didn't program these computers to have a two. So all these computers that run everything, they're going to think that it's like a thousand years ago and the world's just going to shut down. Dams are going to open up and flood things and it's just going to be a disaster. can't handle anything and you'll lose all your money. Everything. Yeah, there was Super Bowl ads of Y2K where the person lost all their money and then when it came back on, like they take a picture of it because the picture is going to prove that that's how much money they had. But then when it comes back on, they're like a billionaire. So they like retake the picture. Like I was definitely a billionaire before this happened. Uh, yeah. But then we had the whole Mayan calendar thing where they're like the Mayan calendar ends in 2012. And then they made a really fucking stupid 2012 movie. I think they wrote it the year before and made it. <laughs> and it's like they rushed, rushed that thing through. And now I don't think there are any end of times dates i think we're through well for now well there'll be another one that pops up from some crazy person yeah because i think they even said the mayan calendar they're like it ended in 2012 because that's just naturally like we ran out of space to keep doing the calendar it was like a perfect circle where we want aesthetically pleasing calendars so we just had to end it there this movie, I discovered it when we were doing all the Catherine Bigelow movies. It quickly rose to the top of my favorites. Probably not more so than her best ones. I still think Hurt Locker is her best movie. I probably like Point Break and Near Dark more. But I'd put this fourth and probably everything else underneath of it. Even like Zero Dark Thirty, K-19, and Detroit. They're really long-winded. I don't understand why Catherine Bigelow is like, this movie's got to be super fucking long. Yeah. Just short in the fucking thing. Like we said, we just saw Killers of the Flower Moon. We could watch a three and a half hour movie. But when you're only following a few people around, it's not based on true events. Even true events get cut down. They're like, fuck it. We're just going to follow the perspective of this guy. We can't keep, we can't show you everything. You're going to have to piece this shit together. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a noticeable thing. Like when you're listing off the movies that you that you put above this, they're all movies that I think are all just around two hours or less. They're all very like Near Dark, Point Break, and Hurt Locker are all like very compact. Like the story, there's nothing extra there, any extra story that you feel needs to be cut. But I, I yeah, I feel like I could say that with any of those other movies, like Zero Dark Thirty, Detroit, even this. As much as I like them. There's definitely parts that I'm like, you, you do not need that. Let's cut that back a little bit. Yeah, and I, I wonder what they lost. We know there was something cut from this movie. Also, it's very weird that this is a movie that I don't remember hearing about ever. I don't remember trailers for it. I don't remember seeing it at the video store. I don't remember anything about it. When I was doing the Catherine Bigelow binge it popped up and it was actually hard to find so if you want to watch it it's on max now it's on max watch it right now before they get rid of it but maybe it's refreshing because of that aspect that you've never heard of it it does it has a pretty big cast ray fines got in it because of schindler's list they spared no expense it seems Yeah, like you said, Vincent D'Onofrio, and I can't remember that other guy. He's in fucking everything, too, the other cop. Yeah. 
I always think he's like Gary Cole for a second, <laughs> and it's not Gary Cole. Like, I, he's a kind of a Doppler ganger. Like, he's a Dylan McDermott and Dermot Mulroney to me. <laughs> he's like they look like the same guy to me. But yeah, it's not hard to seek out. Find it now. Check it out now. I think generally people will like it. When we were doing that month, I was almost like, should I have chosen this movie? Because this is a movie that at least a lot of people haven't seen. Have you seen this before? Did you watch it for the first time now? No. I've owned it since we worked at Hollywood Video because that's the... You did buy it at Hollywood Video. copy of, I have from Hollywood Video. Holy shit. I don't even remember it. Is it the picture of the three faces? Yes. Yep. The fuck don't I remember? I know, and I think I think I just bought it because it was... Uh, I probably had seen... I mean, because at that point, I'd probably seen Point Break. Hurt Locker was around that time, so I was probably... I, I probably looked at it and was like, oh, that's by that Catherine Bigelow. I should buy that. And then just never watched it. I think it's interesting that you know and recognize the director. A lot of people don't. And, and she doesn't slap her name on a bunch of shit. Still. Like, there's a couple movies that ended and it's not directed by Catherine Bigelow. It just comes up. Here's the UPM and here's the first assistant director. Just doesn't give a shit to tell you who the director is. It's like, we don't care. It's just a movie. I'm, I'm a modest director. She should have a new movie. She's doing a sci-fi movie, Aurora. I bought the book. I got to read the book. But I feel like by this point, it should be coming out this year. So we'll finally get more Catherine Bigelow for, like, Detroit was 2017 or something? I feel right? Yeah. That's too long, Catherine. You need to make more movies. You're better than James Cameron anyways. I like James Cameron. But, like, there's no contest. Hurt Locker is a million times better than Avatar. They can't fight that. I think the most impressive thing about not hearing about this movie until just a few years ago is the cast. Really. It's, like, an impressive cast when you start watching this movie where you're just like, oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. I, that. Besides, well, nothing against her. She's just, every time that she shows up in a movie, she's just... I don't know, not my thing. But I can believe that Ray Fiennes absolutely is infatuated with her. And I have to suspend my disbelief for that more than I do the technology that's... The sci-fi technology that's in this movie. Oh no, I can't believe you're doing this. <laughs> but yeah, we got one more movie for Cyberpunk coming next week. Chuck's pick. And then we'll shift into a new genre. And we'll have our usual... Academy Awards episode in the middle of that, but the genres continue. Thanks for listening, everybody. We are Cinema Demore. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.